Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cricket Ultras. This is Arun Sudharman, and I'm joined today by the co-host of the Offspin podcast from New Zealand. He's also an editor at online magazine The Spin-Off, Simon Day. I kind of envy you for having this this easy name, Spin-Off to Offspin. Works really well. How are you, Simon? Very well. Uh, New Zealand is three wins from fr- three. I um, I may be a little bit of exhausted. The, the games either start at 9.30pm or 12.30am uh, in New Zealand. So it means I have mm. not been getting a lot of sleep. I'm on one mm. giant cricket bender. So let's let's talk a little bit about this podcast. So you've you've launched it specifically for the World Cup, is that correct? If I'm honest, I've been nagging my boss uh, to launch a cricket <laughs> podcast since the day I started uh, at the spinoff. Mm-hmm. I think cricket's so well suited to talking shit, really, because there's so much dead mm-hmm. air, there's so much waiting around, there's so many statistics. It's such a strange sport that's, um, you know, full of narrative. And I always believed that it's made for um, podcasts. That's, I guess, why, why there's so many of them. Uh, yep. But the World Cup seemed to provide the impetus for um, both my boss's enthusiasm and the opportunity to get a sponsor on board. We're sponsored by mm-hmm. Coffee Supreme, my favorite New Zealand uh, coffee brand who provides us with the fuel that I need to survive the workday after having stayed up all night. All right, that's a commercial message right there but that's cool we'll let it go (laughs) do you do you find that a lot of people in new zealand are staying up overnight has world cup mania gripped the nation to be honest i don't think so um i have a uh i have a whatsapp group with all my cricket uh, mad friends and I slowly Ooh. see them fade uh, throughout the <laughs> evening and I'm sort of left uh, posting commentary to myself um, <laughs> I think there are a few diehards out there Guy Havelt from um, radio, formerly from Radio Sport now, One News is often tweeting mm-hmm. very articulate stuff as we go but he's, he's one Ooh. of the few people I see awake all night uh, with me it's, a, it's, lo- it's lonely out there yeah, it's tough. I mean, we I'm in Hong Kong and we the matches here start at 5:30, sorry, 7:30, 5:30, correct, 5:30, which means I can get most of the game, but by around midnight I just fall asleep. And so I always miss the the end, which is a, a little inconvenient. There's been a couple of good finishes as well, but um <laughs> I know. I know, no, I'm hoping that as the the tournament picks up, I'll stay awake. Certainly, from the semi-finals onwards, I feel I feel I feel that's kind of required. Um, so, New Zealand three wins out of three. Some people are surprised by this. I don't know why anyone is surprised by New Zealand doing well at a World Cup by this stage. Do you feel a little annoyed that every World Cup people come out and start talking, you know, about New Zealand as if they've just started playing cricket? With the, with the perennial dark horse, um, yeah. to use a cricketing cliche, but no, I think it, I think it's good for us. We always slide under the radar, and you know, seventy five percent of the time make the semifinals. Um, but we were blessed this year with uh, the easiest start to the tournament in terms of opponents. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, the demise of Sri Lankan cricket is really sad, but we got to knock them off first. Mm-hmm. Um, the rise of Bangladesh cricket is really wonderful, um, but they couldn't quite put us away. So mm. that was our second victory, um, a little bit nerve-wracking uh, after you've stayed up all night and had too much coffee. Um, a bit of anxiety going on as we stumbled our way to that to- total. And then there was the romantic story of, of Afghanistan, which I love, but again, um, mm. didn't didn't put it much pressure on us. They didn't. Um, yes, I'm a little concerned for Afghanistan. I was hoping they'd give a better account of themselves. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's still time, but they have some tough matches coming up. Um, so it's not going to get any easier for them. Experience comes with experience, though, I guess. And if you look at the likes of Bangladesh and Sri Lanka and New Zealand, it took it took us a long time to, you know, sort of yeah. to, to knock off those other test-playing nations. And Afghanistan have already um, got some big scalps. And, you know, they, they haven't performed maybe to the level we have hoped yet in the World Cup. Um, yeah. Rashid Khan got uh, sort of, bounced out of the second innings and wasn't yeah. wasn't able to bowl against us and that's a big loss for them. But I, I do think their batting is is where they will need to focus uh going forward in the future. They all love to have a slog, but that that can lead oh. to uh quick collapses. Yeah. Yeah, and with um Mohammed Shazad has gone home. I know uh, the biggest character in the World Cup. Well yes, biggest in, in more ways than one. Um but also, it's it's not clear whether he's injured or, or he was sent home. So, these are these are not you know it's, it's not the kind of story you want to hear from a team that's struggling. I hadn't heard those uh, nuance. Yeah, well, there's always I mean, with some subcontinental teams, there's always this kind of intrigue. I feel as a long time India fan, you, you wonder whenever a player is sent home, exactly why they've been sent home. Um, and there are reports in the Afghan media that. Uh, he's not injured. So, yeah, so one to watch. But back to... Maybe they could ask oh. A.B. de Villiers if he wanted to play. Well, I think A.B. would do it if the price is right. I think we've probably established that much um, about A.B. de Villiers. <laughs> bit harsh, but uh, but fair, perhaps, yes. Uh, yeah, A.B. de Villiers uh, the, 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 the seems to be the biggest name at the World Cup, even though he's not playing there. What are your thoughts? Formed the best for South Africa so far out of all their players. <laughs> yes. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. His stock has risen in his absence, I guess. Um, I'm wondering if he's glad they didn't let him uh, join the team in the end because it's been uh, pretty embarrassing so far for South Africa. Yeah, I mean, I think they were probably happy to get their first point yesterday. From a washed-out match. It wasn't looking good. Um, I was in the middle of tweeting how nice it was to see Hashim Amla play some beautiful covered drives, and halfway mm. through that, he got out, so I had to delete it. That was very inconvenient for you. I know. He's <laughs> he's looking unfortunately old, I think. His, um, his yeah, run, he's creaking. His run is done. Yeah, I've, I've, it's he's sort of looked that way for a good 12 months now, I, I feel. Fabulous player, but... I guess it happens to the best of of them. What are your thoughts on on the whole AB de Villiers debacle? Let's call it. Oh, it wouldn't be a World Cup without um, something strange happening to South Africa. Uh, <laughs> I think I think we often look over the bizarre politics that 
surround the South African team and we seem happy to celebrate the shambles when they happen to the likes of Pakistan or, or India, but it often appears to be a specialty of uh, South Africa. And just this is just the most most recent. Yeah, you're right, I suppose. Quite I arrogant it's... from A.B. de Villiers, if I'm honest. Um, you know, players mm. work really hard and, you know, it's their dream to play in the World Cup and then to sort of do a Jay-Z and retire and then try <laughs> to come out of retirement uh, when it suits you. I don't. I don't think is fair to those who have devoted themselves to the team. Um, Viv Richards retired in 1991 and then declared himself available for the 1992 World Cup, and and West Indies approached it exactly the same way as South Africa did this year, and, yeah. and said, you know, that's it's unfortunately not uh, fair didn't, on other players. Yeah, well, didn't Imran Khan retire? Imran Khan, Imran Khan, that was reverse though. Imran Khan retired no. and then um, Pakistan cricket begged him to come back. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, it's a little bit different. For his leadership mostly, and, and that's when he uh, led his cornered Tigers to World Cup victory, unfortunately uh, dislodging the New Zealand team in the semi-final at Eden Park. I was a six-year-old boy sitting at the ground oh. with my grandma. I had, to, I had to get her to take me out of Eden Park, sort of halfway through Inzamam's innings, as I w- could feel him dismantling us, and and I wasn't able to watch the end. It was too traumatic. Gosh, so that that match that match has perhaps scarred you. Oh, defined me um, would be mm. the better word. I think that's where it all began for me, sitting mm. in that in that stand with my grandma, and um, sort of prepared me to be honest, for perpetual disappointment, which is what it is to be a New Zealand cricket fan. Yes, I suppose. I mean, the 2015 World Cup final must have been a tough one. I thought New Zealand were the best team in the tournament. So that must have been a bitter pill to swallow. I was there at the MCG. Um, I went over with a gang of friends. And yes, it was. But at the same time, I think probably the single greatest sporting moment of my life was watching Grant Elliott hit that six from the front row of the Eden Park mm. stand. And despite yeah. the disappointment of the final, um, that that was one of the greatest finishes to a sporting match I've ever been a part of. And I will never forget that. That that looms larger in my mind than Mitchell Stark's Yorker, for example. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I, 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 can, I can totally understand that. But it's not all disappointment. It, it You know, New Zealand... Right now, you'd have to say they look like they have a better team than Australia, wouldn't you say? I think we suffer from similar holes as Australia. Um, I think we're a fifth bowler short. Australia appear to be sort of... Australia Australia are a third ball. They're a third bowler short, it would appear. They brought on um, Coulton Isle to, to bowl first change against India, which, I mean, really made me wonder about their bowling depth. I think it was really impressive to watch uh, Shikadawan and Rohit Sharma just play through those dangerous oh. overs from Stark and Cummins and be measured and not worry about um, their slightly slower run rate. And from that first over by Cummins, I think they took him for 14, just get stuck oh. in. It was very smart cricket, very modern cricket. And I think that's why India looks so dangerous. But... Australia are definitely mm-hmm. a few bowlers short. I think we're at least one short. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. I think our openers are putting a lot of pressure on the middle order. If yeah, we're, we're going to go far, I think it'll be on the back of 
one of Martin Guptill or Colin Munro rather than our mm-hmm. two stars and Kane Williamson and Ross Taylor. They're gonna they're gonna do whatever they do no matter what. But yeah, if we're gonna get a match winning total or chase down a three fifty uh, score, it's gonna be, be gonna be because one of those two got at least fifty runs at sort of at least one hundred and twenty strike rate. Yeah, agree. They they need to to deliver. How do you feel about the bowling attack? I mean, it still looks in in good shape. You've got Trent Bolt, who doesn't seem to age. Um, Even in his face. Yeah. And then these two youngsters have come through, Lockie Ferguson and Matt Henry, who both look pretty, pretty handy. I, I think we've seen pace bowling and short pitch bowling have a bit of a revival at this World Cup. There was so much talk mm. about really large scores. Um, and we've seen some aggressive fast bowling counterpunch against the dominance of the batsmen at the moment. And that's really exciting. And mm-hmm. I think it's Agreed. important that we have that in Ferguson and, and Henry. And I also think Mitchell Santner has played extraordinarily well. He's doing his best Daniel yeah. Vittori impersonation. Um, yeah. and has been very tight, you know, very good economy rate um, and brings a bit, bit with the bat as well, which is exciting. Yeah, he's a big game player, I always feel, Mitchell Santner. Delivers in the IPL as well. And he looks so cute with his glasses on. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Daniel Vittori look. Yeah, Daniel was a bit more rugged. Mitch needs to grow a beard or something to... Um, yeah, yeah bit more of a wilderness look and and jimmy neesham i must confess i don't know a lot about jimmy neesham but he's he certainly seems to have turned up i'm a big fan of jimmy neesham with the bat he hits it a really long way he's got a couple of test centuries to his name he um Mm -hmm. he kept brendan mccullum company for uh, quite a while when he scored his 300 at uh, the basin reserve but Mm -hmm. when he comes on to bowl i get a little bit frightened he he looks like yeah. a bit of a ball machine serving up uh, some free hits. I think yeah. I'd be I'd be happier if you gave me the ball, to be honest. Um, He's like a Gavin Fleming type, maybe. But a little bit faster, but um, yeah. <laughs> he, seem, he seems to be easy to put away. Yeah, okay. But so far, so good for New Zealand. Yeah, big test on um, Thursday night against India. They are looking very good. Yeah, I just wonder if it will be washed out. It's looking that way, and I think that probably benefits New Zealand. It's, it's always unfortunate when matches are washed out, and I think it's a problem in general for cricket. You would think that by now they could come up with some sort of a solution, you know, involving a involving roofs or something along those lines. But I do think one of the appeals of this tournament, and it's an inherently flawed ap- appeal because we're going to see a lot of rain this week because it's England but the grounds and the history and the you know the way that these county um, fields sit at the heart of these small uh, towns of England that I've never thought about before but I recognize the names like Somerset and Sussex and Middlesex Chesterley Street it's 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 fantastic to to think about the home of cricket and you know watch watch it played all over the UK but the UK obviously comes with some weather issues. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's fine with test matches and county cricket. I just wonder for a, for a tournament of this stature at a time when cricket has, you know, some challenges in terms of attracting fans, 
it's it's not the most helpful thing. But yes, if the match does does get underway, because I think it's forecast to ease on Thursday, it will be an interesting one. India have surprised me actually. I think they they look better than I expected. Um, they've had various issues coming into the tournament, but they just look quite relaxed and quite clinical. And yeah, none of the issues that I think people were concerned about have have arisen. And they've got some good players that aren't getting a game as well. So uh, maybe the only issue for them at the moment is that they peak too early. They look very deep. Uh, they look very smart. I think Bumrah has changed the entire dynamic for the team. Mm. And anyone with Virat Kohli in and, and their side is, has a chance to win. Yeah, that's I mean that's another good thing for them. I don't think he's really hit top gear yet. So well, they've only played two games. They've been uh, they've been on holiday. Yeah, they showed up very late. Well, yeah, well they were chilling after the IPL, and then they went. They had to go and 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 do some paintballing as well. And they all had to vote as well. We can't forget about democracy. Yeah, uh, well they did have to vote. Yes, I think they already voted. I think that happened. In probably should have happened in May, but yes, we can't. We can never forget about democracy. You are correct. Um, where is Ish Sodi? He's there somewhere. Um, I, I love Ish, and he's a wicket taker. I'd like to see New Zealand persist more with him at Test level, but I think in this modern game, his mm. his batting isn't good enough. His fielding isn't great, and you, you can't really hide anyone anymore um, unless you've got. Chris Gale or Hashim Amler in the slips, you know, it's difficult to be a bad fielder in the, in the modern game. And I think perhaps you'd, you'd include him over one of the all-rounders, but then we start to get a pretty long tail at that point, and New Zealand has been proven very skilled at losing wickets for many, many oh. years. Uh, so I, I suspect um, the limitations of his skill set are the reason that he's, he's not getting a chance to have a bowl. But he's there. He's in oh, yeah, I know he's there. I, I hear he may play, in fact, the next match. There's talk he may replace, is it Colin de Grandholm? It is. Um, Interesting story about Colin de Grandholm. He doesn't know himself, and the commentators always wonder if it's Colin de Grandholm or Colin de Grandholm. Um, and he's, he's, he's acknowledged that he's got no idea. Okay, well, so, so either is fine, or indeed any pronunciation. He goes with both. You go, okay, well, that, that's very flexible. That's very, you know, that's kind of what I'd expect from a New Zealand player. He's a pretty chilled guy. Man of few words. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so uh, the one thing I'll say about Ish Sodhi, I think it's useful to have a leg spinner out there, I do think, in the middle overs. And he's very capable. I agree. Bowls a few, um, bowls at least one bad ball and over, though. Uh and often they can take wickets, though, but he's prone to uh, dragging it down or offering up a big fully by accident. Yeah, that's not ideal. You do need to, to have leg spinners that have complete control, which is a, which is a hard thing to come by. We saw Adam um, Zampa get um, taken mm. to all parts of the ground due to um, some lack of control against India. But he kept his hands warm. He did. <laughs> and the ball. Uh, I, I assume you have... No, no concerns with that explanation. Ah, oh, I know they're Australian, but surely they're not that stupid. Like, <laughs> I, I love it. Be. I would love if they were cheating. It would be very exciting, and I, I just can't see it. 
I just can't see them being that silly. I've never heard of this idea of taking a hand warmer onto the field. Is, is this a common thing, do you think? Yeah, I think a bunch of the West Indians had them um, in the field okay. last night. They're little like gel packs that um, when you break them open, they release heat. Yeah. My mum, yeah, who has sure. very poor circulation, uses them in her skiing gloves. Okay. Expert analysis well, then, there. Yeah. I, mean, I know, real colour. Human interest, even. So, if we're talking about the best New Zealand players in the tournament, I guess we start with Ben Stokes, is that correct? I think Trent Bolt and uh, Kane Williamson would get picked over Ben Stokes if you were in the playground choosing choosing players. Do you still consider him a, a Kiwi cricketer? Uh, no, but we've we've we'll let him go. We've been very um, happy to pinch players from other parts of the world throughout our history. Uh, right now, oh. our most successful Test bowler Neil Wagner is. is from South Africa, Grant Elliott, who hit the winning runs in that semi-final last mm-hmm. World Cup as a South African. Yep. Luke Ronke, the wicketkeeper in that tournament, was an Australian. You know, any any leftovers, any rejects from around the world, we will we will take them and, and mould them into our first eleven. Sure, yeah, it's a good attitude. It's uh, it's served England well. Which players have impressed you? Perhaps surprised you at this World Cup? Uh, Jofra Archer, I didn't know much about Jofra. A uh, very exciting yeah. player. Seems to love playing cricket uh, and bowls very fast. I wouldn't want to face that. Shakib Alassan, I sh- you know, it shouldn't be a surprise. Uh, Bangladesh mm. are a really, yeah. very good team now and he's the best all rounder in the world. But right now, with 260 runs across three games, he's the top run scorer and looks really, really good. Yeah, he's got a hell of a rap sheet, Shakib Al Hassan. They've got an incredible record. They're one of the most experienced teams at the at the World Cup, Bangladesh. I'd love to yeah. see them make a semi final one day. Yeah, his cricketing record is good. His disciplinary record is uh, interesting. Let's say I'm not aware of uh, Shakib's misdemeanors. <laughs> I did a. I just ended up down a rabbit hole the other day, looking up Shakib Al Hassan's entire history, and. Um, yeah, his disciplinary misdemeanors are something else. Are they, they are. Are they fun, I mean, you, funny you, ones or are they... But- no. Oh. No. They're not. You'll definitely look at him in a different light. That's disappointing. Not sort of me It is disappointing. Stuff. Yeah, there's... No, but but there's um, there's a reasonable amount of violence in there. All right. A lot of stuff that's termed misbehavior, in, in quotes. It's a lot of misbehaving. Which I, I must confess, I knew nothing about this. I just thought, you know, he was the best all-rounder in the world in limited overs cricket. Um, but it turns out... You must have a good PR team keeping all that quiet. Or relatively <laughs> unknown. Yeah, I think, I think it's helpful that um, they don't attract too much scrutiny. But he did, he did serve a six-month suspension from the Bangladesh cricket team. I think it was in 2014. Since he's come back, he's... He's kept his nose pretty clean. He's not got into any trouble. Um, I think I think leading up to that, he's, I mean, he is basically the most famous person in Bangladesh. He's kind of a, you know, he's, he's a sort of demigod over there. So I guess with that kind of a, that kind of status, you can get away with a few things. Yeah, I thought you were going to say um, a six month jail sentence, but it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> sound like uh, Shakib. <laughs> No, not yet. No, not yet. And, um, and it sounds like if, if he if he ever did end up in the justice system, he'd be uh, 
treated very fairly, given his status. Yeah. I think he'd have his own net, I imagine. Just um, keep him informed. Just to in- exactly so that you know, whenever he was released, he could go back to taking wickets and and hitting centuries. Well, Simon, thank you so much for your time. It's been fun having you on to talk about New Zealand cricket. We're watching the Black Caps progress with interest. I, I've actually, on an earlier episode of Cricket Ultras, I picked them for the semifinals. I'm feeling good about that pick. Yeah, well, they're halfway there. So I think they will keep us interested towards the latter stages of the, of the tournament. Do you see them progressing any further? I think we'll make the semifinals at least. Yeah. And then anything can happen. Exactly, exactly. All becomes a little bit of luck at that point. Sure. Well, thank you again. Let's try and get you back on, uh, maybe towards the end of the tournament, um, towards the business end of the tournament. I hope you can stay awake through the matches. hope you don't emotionally disintegrate too much. I'm still alive at this point, but we're only three games in. Well, that's more than can be said for the South African cricket team, so... Yeah, I think you're doing well. Yeah, they seem to have given up and want to go home already. I'm ready for I'm ready for six more games. Yeah. All right, well great. Thank you so much, Simon. Um Pleasure. we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, we're gonna move on now, and it's we're very glad to welcome back onto the pod Toby Dome and Toby, how are you? I'm very well. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me back again. You're here in Hong Kong. I'm wondering if you've been following up with Hand warmer gate. Hand warmer gate. I'm aware of MS Dunny's gloves keeping his hands warm. I'm not sure if this is the same thing though. No, it's actually it's actually a second kind of hand related incident from the World Cup. We can talk about the gloves as well because that was obviously it's kind of a diplomatic incident. I felt, but no, Adam Adam Zampel, Australian player, was was shown on on the big screens, TV screens, putting his hand in his pocket a lot, rubbing something. All looked vaguely familiar. Oh dear. Anyway, he, he, he claims he was just using a hand warmer. Well, has anyone asked, asked the, the leadership group, in inverted commas, uh, what's going on there? <laughs> I don't know, but I, I would imagine it was, it's, it's an elite hand warmer, if indeed it is a hand warmer. Well, I have to check the ICC rulebook about uh, the use of hand warmers, particularly in the first 10 overs. I think there might be some stringent rules around that, so it's probably worth checking with their press office about that. And if not, there should be. <laughs> Why? Absolutely. Well, no, I just, uh, we just had Simon Day on the pod, and he actually said a lot of the West Indian players were using hand warmers um, as well. So it, 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 this is apparently common practice. These are like, I mean, my friend of mine had one. They're, they're like these sort of uh, oblong yeah. shapes, yeah. flat, almost like an iPhone that keeps yeah. your hands warm. I mean, it, 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 it's a sight to behold when you see early touring sides in England for the first part of the season and their bowlers are wearing like five jumpers without taking them off, first change. So it's chilly yeah. um, and it has been cool. I think these first couple, this first ten days of the of the tournament. So, I think we're going to have to cut Zampa some slack. Although he has got a terrible haircut. Yeah, but I don't think you'd see hand warmers being used in Yorkshire. Um, <laughs> certainly not in Jeffrey Boycott's day. You'd have to say. So anyway, let's talk about the World Cup because it's underway and it started. I thought a little quietly. The first few days was were rather predictable, and then it kind of exploded into life. I felt with the. Bangladesh South Africa game, but in particular also the um, 
the stunning upset of England by Pakistan, Toby. What happened there? Yeah, that was a, it, was, it was a bit of a shock. Um, I think it's a good thing for England to get that out of the way first, if I'm being positive. I think that was, um, you know, Pakistan are mercurial. They were made for that word. They, you don't know who you're going to get. And every one of their bowlers put a shift in and looked dangerous. Ah. I mean, I watched the game and, and Eng- England really didn't get going. I mean, so, but Butler aside, you know, this is what happens when you're new to that top order. You know, Stokes, I didn't, didn't really get going in the teens. Um, uh, as I say, Butler doing the damage, but Pakistan bowled fantastically and for those conditions as well, really got their heads around it. So I think it was probably a shock, but I think being positive, probably a good thing to get that shock out of the way early doors. Um, but tough test against the West Indies for England this Friday. Yeah, it was really, you know, Pakistan turning up at the tournament, it's always great to see, I think. Um, they'd lost their, I think it was 12 ODIs before beating England. Maybe a risk for them that they, they've peaked too soon because you sort of want Pakistan to start playing well when they're facing the prospect of elimination. If they start playing well too soon, I feel there's always a, a risk that the fine balance in that team could easily go awry at some point over the next three to four weeks. Yeah, this is it. They, they've, they potentially are a bit brittle. But my God, what confidence builder for those! And Wahab Riaz, the pick, of the, the pick of the bowlers. He's got such a where's he been? Quick arm, like a quick shoulder. Yeah, he's he's pretty well built, but he doesn't speed in express pace. But he really lets go of it like a catapult on the on the popping crease. Um, and Mohammed Amir is still <clears throat> still a dangerous bowler, and and backed up by um, Shadab Khan. So I think those three, I think, really are if they are on song. Are dangerous. I mean, I would put them in when you're looking at um, Ngidi and Rabada for South Africa, who haven't fired, and we maybe get to them later. If two of those thoroughbreds can can really uh, keep the score down below 320, um, it's going to be dangerous. But look, the par score appears to be anything sort of 320, 330, which is compared to even last World Cup. You know, it's creeping up in terms of that um, minimum expectation on the runs. Yeah, Wahab Riaz, who a few months ago was being told by the Pakistan selectors while being dropped that there were several better bowlers in the country than him, who has, he hasn't played an, an ODI for a long time. I mean, really the last meaningful spell he bowled was against Shane Watson in the 2015 World Cup when I think Australia won that game, but Wahab gave Watson a torrid working over. Um, and they asked him after the match where he'd been, he said, um, said on holidays. <laughs> But it's amazing to see him come back. And the, and the other guy I'd single out from the Pakistan team is Mohammed Hafiz, who batted, I mean, superbly. He's 38 years old. He's been in and out of the team now for coming up to 15 years, Mohammed Hafiz, if, if not longer. Never really been a, you know, a, a brilliant batsman. Batted superbly well against England. I mean, some of his shot making was of the highest quality, I thought. Uh, and, you know, on the biggest stage. Uh, and then back that up. Uh, by bowling really well you know he, he he's obviously decided that he's not even going to bother trying to turn the ball but still managed to take wickets I mean he more perhaps even more than Wahab that was a, a real shock to see him uh, playing so well I think in this match well, and one thing it's probably worth picking picking out on and reasons why is and I'd apply this to India and Bangladesh as well is that a lot of the grounds feel like home games for those sides because they've got such huge um, diaspora support 
uh, inning. Yeah. When you you know when I'm watching these games and it sounds like um, Eden Gardens on an evening, you know, and you've got such yeah. loud support for those sides in particular, that must really give them a lift. So I'm trying to think out why have they just come together all, all of a sudden as a as a as a force. I think mm. the crowd must be one of them. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and I think in those grounds, I mean, you would in the past you'd you'd perhaps expect that in some some places, you know, Birmingham, Manchester, Leeds, and London, but you're seeing it now even in places like Southampton and and Cardiff, and you know, even Taunton, I would imagine. So you're seeing a, a lot of South Asians traveling to these grounds, even if there isn't a big South Asian community in that particular city. And it, yeah, it's a huge factor. I mean, in the India Australia game the other night. Uh, every Australian boundary or six was was greeted by silence. Yeah, it was def- it was deafening silence. And in fact, the, 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 one of the one of the little sideshows of the England Pakistan game, I think Jason Roy was having a little bit of verbals uh-huh. with some of the with the crowd, and he dropped a catch, I think. And uh-huh. you know, Chris uh, Wokes upset him. Oh, was it Wokes or rather than Jason? Yes. Well, both of them, I think. No, J- Jason Roy got into a a little verbal thing with a couple of the Pakistan players, I think. Possibly Safaraz, I'm not sure who. Chris Wokes was actually giving the crowd the, uh, you know, the the shush, the finger to the lips, which seemed very out of character for him. Yeah, I don't know what's going on in this. I mean, Morgan or Morgan afterwards just said that they'd spoken about this before, that there was going to be a home team atmosphere for some of the sides and that they need to obviously keep their cool and, and you know, focus on the cricket. Again, I'm hoping this was an early blip and they've learned their lesson. But yeah, interesting dynamics in that first sort of 10 days. Um, as you say, it started slowly, but I think with the first heavyweight bout between India and Australia, um, I feel things have really kicked off now. Yeah, it's, it's just a concern now this week that the weather may play a big factor. Looks like a lot of games are, are going to be weather affected over the next few days. England got back to winning ways, back to their kind of formula against Bangladesh. Was it Bangladesh? It was, right? They scored 3.86. But you made the point before we were on the pod about how the, the pitches have actually been quite conducive to fast bowling. And we have seen a lot of short pitch stuff. The West Indians, uh, Jofra Archer, the Pakistanis, of course, and from the Indian bowlers. And, and actually, every team has got quick bowlers that are they're deploying to bowl pretty short. And so it does seem to be a, a, something of a dichotomy. You get these huge scores, but you also get some real spells of pace bowling. Yeah, this is great for the game because I think there was a danger that the short form of cricket was turning into a batsman's paradise and, you know, everyone wants to see the the maximums on YouTube afterwards and it all starts to become a highlights reel. Where I think the return of genuine pace and you look across the, the various teams, we've got bowlers capable of hitting 90 mile an hour plus. We've got Mark Wood, who I think is currently holder of the fastest delivery in the tournament so far, just over 95 miles an hour in old money. Obviously, Archer in England, uh, Lockie Ferguson in New Zealand, yeah, I think, and Matt Henry as well. concussed uh, an Afghanistan batsman um, and dismissed him in the same ball, which is quite yeah, something. Rashid, yeah, Rashid Khan, yeah. Um, yeah. So you've got some express pace out there. And the pitches as well have not been as docile as we thought. I think... Um, the Oval was a belter. Cardiff was, interestingly, just every sort of 12 to 16 deliveries, a bit of bounce would come up from somewhere to keep the bowlers interested. So if you're a Cummins or a Stark or a Rabada, you, you're going to get some a little bit of extra energy there. So I think it's great to see, and it's great to see batsmen being hurried as well. I think David, even uh, David Warner was being hurried. Oh, yeah, against India and, and West Indies. Both teams, India and West Indies, he... He was hopping about. I mean, the Australian batsmen in general have looked uncomfortable, I thought, in, in both of their matches. 
the Rose Bowl, weirdly, that, that game India played against um, South Africa, which was a fairly low-scoring affair, uh, seemed really conducive to um, pace bowling. Yeah, I, th- I think the groundsman has moved from the oval, I was reading, so they've got sort of similar philosophy in terms of preparation of wickets. But that's been great as well. I think, you know, the worry was there would be some early season puddings and it was going to be sort of 350 minimum and, you know, the yeah. sides will not be bowled out. But I think for the for the tournament itself, it's great to see and everybody likes seeing people with genuine express pace. Yeah, although not fast enough to dislodge the bales, it seems. Too heavy. Too heavy, apparently. Uh, what's your view on this? I mean, apparently they're, they're using the same uh, set as you would see at the IPL, um, which are heavier, and apparently the grooves are deeper. So I've been reading into this. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, apparently I think it's about four or five times now where the ball has struck the base of the stumps in this tournament and hasn't failed to dislodge the bales. Um, yeah. What's going on? Groove theory. I mean, it's a batsman's game, isn't it? Really. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> that's that's how I always kind of view these things. It's it's ridiculous, honestly. It's got it's got they've got to sort it out. It's five times now that bowlers have have have, have cleaned up batsmen and, and been denied a wicket, and in a game that's already heavily tilted towards towards the batsman, uh, yeah, it's 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 not ideal at all. I mean, I think in the India Australia game, actually, it worked to India's favour. Someone said to me afterwards, India got lucky that uh, David Warner's bales weren't dislodged because he scratched around for for a really slow 50 after that. Yeah, it was an odd run chase. I think it was just, just on the bales controversy, I was reading Mike Salvi, his former Guardian cricket correspondent, just says they can't change them during the tournament. Uh, Making the grooves more shallow, which is the obvious solution, means that the bales sit higher so the stumps have to be shortened to conform to the correct length. There you go. Yeah, I saw Jimmy Neesham, uh, the New Zealand all-rounder on, on Twitter was, was suggesting that the grooves be made shallower. He'd, he's obviously done some research into it as well, which, you know, it's kind of glad to see that someone, someone's applying themselves at least. So that's the bales, and then we've got a few other things we should probably go over. So we, you mentioned Dhoni's gloves, the other uh, big diplomatic incident of the week. Yeah. Um, it's, when, when does sport become politics? I mean, as soon as it becomes politics, it stops to become sport. So I... Uh, as a as a, a, a military man, um, Mr. Doney, I, I guess, is very proud of his regimental background. Well, he's not really a military man, is he? It's like, it's the Territorial Army. Let's be clear. <laughs> a part-time TA. Um, yeah, it's not a serious military. Can't he just have a tattoo on his back and cover it up? I don't know. Yeah, like the rest of us. I mean, I always find it a little weird when you have grown men playing as if they're in the army. He's... He's not. He's he's an honorary member of uh, some sort of paratrooper, a, a real paratrooper regiment of the Territorial uh, Indian Army. He's got the dagger insign- insignia on his gloves. This falls foul of I- of ICC regulations. Caused a huge furore in India. It was dominating the news channels. You know, you, I don't know if you've watched TV news in India, but it's just it's insane. It's just people screaming, and so there was a lot of calls for India to either pull out of the World Cup or boycott cricket or end the World Cup or go to war with Pakistan, which is also the, one of the default... Good range of options. Yeah, that's kind of the default option in these cases. But the BCCI, to its credit, <laughs> just just said they're going to abide by whatever the rules are and, and Dhoni changed his gloves. I mean, it was, a, it was all a bit ridiculous. 
I think, to begin with. I don't really like all this, this, this fetishization, if that's a word, of the military. The Indian team went out in um, army camouflage caps for a game a few months ago, ostensibly to raise money um, for widows of the attacks in Kashmir. I, I don't know. I don't think they need to do all this kind of stuff to raise money. When um, at the start of tournaments, it's fairly common. I think this is for the Ashes, for example. You'll see the squads going out with the Royal Marines or their equivalent in Australia being put through their paces. Yeah. Does that boot happen camp. in India as well, or boot camps? Yeah, I, I know Dhoni does it for sure. He 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 trains with the army. Some of the others might. I think the Australian team visits Gallipoli, don't they? They do that. They did actually, right? This yeah, before they, they landed. They do that. They do that regularly. So there's definitely some of this stuff that goes on, right? I think Moeen Ali has fallen foul of these regulations in the past, hasn't he? He wore a, a wristband, yeah, Palestine-related wristband. I mean, anyway, I think it was all a storm in a teacup. I mean, a couple of other things. I don't know if you've been listening to the, the dulcet tones of, of Saurav Ganguly on commentary. And uh, if so, what you've made of his contribution so far. Well, look, I'm not going to single out a particular commentator, but I am aware that there has been a little bit of mudslinging involving Sanjay Mandraker and um, Mr. Ganguly. But maybe I'll let you expand on that. But but I think a broader point on the on the comment- tell us more, tell us more about this mudslinging. I'm actually unaware of this. Oh, well, I'm just just reading here. Saurav Ganguly takes an indirect dig at Sanjay Mandraker, calling him an attention seeker. Oh, is that Mandraka he's talking about? Because it, it's not clear from his... That's the tweet he put out, which I think was meant to be a direct message. Yeah, I think always... He says, Sanjay Mandraka responded saying, always happy when Saurav Ganguly is in commentary. You get to relax, not just in between the commentary stints, but during it too. Well, he's right. I mean, Sanjay, I mean, Sanjay Mandraka is not a great commentator either. Neither of them are amazing. So anyway, Ganguly on Twitter, I think it was supposed to be a DM. He's come out and he said his comments on Twitter is a bit like his batting meaningless and lack of ideas, maybe just an attention seeker in the negative way. Ganguly's commentary has been just mystifying for someone who's considered one of the brighter tacticians to Captain India. He, uh, he had to have DRS explained to him by Mark Nicholas during the first match, which um, was a little embarrassing. He then didn't show up for his next commentary stint. And um, I think it was Mark Nicholas made a point of noting that, that Kanguli hadn't turned up, so they were just going to remain in place. I mean, he's very ornery, which is his character. He disagrees with, with most of his commentators, which is I think is, a, is actually fine, but I think there's a you have to do it in the right way. I think Nasser Hussain does it really well. Ganguly just looks like he's forever spoiling for an argument. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if his commentary career continues. I think this is the first time he's done a major commentary stint. Well, there were there were twenty four contracted ICC commentators for the World Cup, which is is a is a decent amount. Um, but I just wanted to sort of pay tribute, I suppose, to the to the blend. I think it's a really good blend, and obviously great to hear some more female voices as well, more yeah, regu- regularly. Isha Guha um, is yeah, she's excellent. Obviously, Alison Mitchell is fairly well. Alison Milich is really good. Yeah, but yeah, I think overall it's it's a it's a good mix, and you obviously expect some of the big names in there, but some new ones, Brendan McCullum, and it was great to hear uh, Wasim and Wakar. Yeah, what seems good. It was was really interesting just to hear that. I'll tell you who I really enjoyed was uh, Kurtley Ambrose on um, Five Live. Oh, yeah? I've not heard him yet. 
Yeah, he's he's been doing um, commentary on Five Live. He's not a, a brilliant commentator because you you sense he's sort of forever somewhat displeased with the West Indian bowlers for not for not bringing the same level of dedication that he he brought to his craft. Um, but they asked him a great question on Five Live where they said, "Curtly, what? How would you? How did you view your relationship with the opposing batsman?" And he said, "Well, first of all, there is no relationship." So I thought that told you all you need to know. know. Uh, I was very impressed with uh, Kumar Sangakkara as well, who's just been voted in as the first non-British MCC president or chair. I can't remember. He's excellent and he's very gently spoken, but extremely thoughtful. And I think he's great. He was really good. Him and Nasser Hussain together work quite well. They're excellent. In fact, Kumar Sangakkara is kind of like the opposite of Saurav Ganguly, I feel. He's just, (laughs) yeah, I just, anyway, anyway. Uh, before we talk about the retirement of Yuvraj Singh, I wanted to ask you, which was your favourite catch, the Ben Stokes stunner or Sheldon Cottrell's tiptoeing across the boundary rope? Both brilliant for different reasons. I think I'm going to go for Stokes because the initial Cottrell catch is something that these guys practice quite a lot and then dipping over the boundary rope and throwing it again. So that, I'm not, that, that's not detracting from it. It was extremely well executed. I think the thing that Stokes, Stokes did, they don't, or you can't practice for. And I think Nasser Hussain's commentary basically underlines that by basically saying, Ben Stokes, you just can't do that. And I think that's, that says it all. That's one tiny little degree higher than Cottrell's, but both incredible. Yeah, we're, so, we're kind of jaded, um, I think, watching the IPL and so on by these sort of boundary riding catches. We've seen a few of them now. Um, the Ben Stokes one, though, should be outlawed. It's just, if you're a club cricketer, I mean, <laughs> and you see that kind of thing going on, that's a tough one. All right, and then finally, last but not least, I suppose we should say a few words, the retirement of Yuvraj Singh. How are you feeling about that? Are you sad, end of an era, or long time coming? I mean, honestly, I'd kind of forgotten about him a little bit. <laughs> so fickle. I mean, he hasn't played. He's, he was in no danger of being selected for India for a long time now, for, for at least a couple of years. But he was a really, really important player for India. He won them the World Cup pretty much in 2011, where he was player of the tournament, despite suffering from cancer. I think he won Man of the Match five times in that tournament. He was a player for the big occasions. 2007 World T20, Toby, you might remember the six sixes off Stuart Broad. And he really lived for those big moments. And that's, he bridged and he was really a, a bridge between two eras of Indian cricket, between that kind of 90s era of, you know, this sort of mature, self-restrained uh, Indian batsman and then these kind of millennial brats um, <laughs> that dominate the team now. But he did change Indian cricket. He's, he's up there as one of the best limited overs cricketers India has produced. And he's had an extraordinary career, really. You think about going all the way back to um, the ICC trophies in 2000 and 2002, um, when he really announced himself onto the world. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't like to overplay these retirements, but he deserves um, he deserves a good send off. And, and now he's going to go and focus on his his cancer foundation, which has done you know a lot of good work. Here, here, um, quick a quick test for you. Uh, he has three nicknames I can find. Can you oh, give wow. me? Can you give me either three or two of them? Gosh, does, I, I'm guessing UV doesn't count as well. Well, yeah, that's uh, that's a gimme. Go on then. So give me give me the other two that I can find. I don't know, man. I'm stumped. So the six are king. 
Okay. Which I, I quite like. This, this is my favourite. <laughs> this is the Maharaj of Indian cricket, which is a very, very beautiful okay. way to describe the man. Yeah, there's a great piece on Crick Info by Harbhajan Singh, who they came up together in, in Punjab, I think from around under 14 level. And there's a, yeah, it's just a really nice piece from Harbhajan about how Yuvraj was always the life and soul of the party and always a big hit with the women. Those were fun times, apparently. <laughs> For the Maharaj. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he's from a pretty affluent background, Yuvraj. He was kind of always destined for greatness. His father played uh, test cricket for India as well. So he's, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how his kids turn out. All right, Tobe. So we've got more cricket this week, obviously. Uh, let's hope it's not rained out. Um, and we'll be back with Cricket Ultra soon. Thank you all for listening.